Welcome to Arts Express. This is Prairie Miller and on the show. historically one of the most powerful anti-war protest songs performed by the original Crosby, Stills, and Nash during the Vietnam War. And Graham Nash is our guest on the show this week, revisiting with us that classical musical movement, its impact on a generation that continues to resonate today, as we've experienced endless war since then, with subsequent U.S. generations born into those wars and never knowing anything but in their lifetimes. But first, we'll hear in a much more personal time of his life, Our House, the story behind the song, when Graham Nash and music icon Joni Mitchell fell in love and lived together back then, and the song they wrote together. And Our House, the story behind the song, is a production of Dutch television. Following the documentary in our Arts Express screening room, Graham Nash recreates, during our conversation, a multitude of magical moments of creation throughout the years and that vividly realized renaissance in music. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young were part of, quote, It was an incredible time, this sound that we had created when we made our three voices one was something that none of us had heard before, and I realized at that moment that my life had changed completely and I would follow that sound. First, the story behind the song, then Graham Nash taking time out in the middle of composing a new piece to talk to Arts Express. I met Joni in Ottawa, in Canada, in I think somewhere around early 1967. And the Hollies were playing a show in Canada. And um, after the show, the Hollies were being uh, thrown a party by our production people and stuff. And my manager's talking in my ear, and I'm looking at this beautiful blonde ac across, the, across the way. And he keeps talking in my ear, and I go, hey, 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 I'm, I'm trying to concentrate on this woman, please. And he said, well, if you'd be quiet for a second, I'm about to tell you that this is Joni Mitchell and she wants to meet you. And I said, oh, well, in that case. And that started a long relationship with Joni. We lived together in Laurel Canyon for a, a couple of years there. 
my memories of Laurel Canyon are beautiful. Uh, lots of sunshine, lots of freedom, lots of new music to make. Establishing my uh, relationship with David and Stephen and with Joan, of course, and then later with Neil. Uh, lots of drugs, lots of marijuana, lots of beautiful women with very few clothes. You know, it, it was an amazing time. I was in love. And I was with a brilliant, beautiful woman. I'd taken Johnny to breakfast at a delicatessen on Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles in the valley. And uh, we'd finished breakfast and we were walking back to Joan's car. There was this small antique store on Ventura Boulevard. <clears throat> and we were looking in the window and, and Joni saw uh, a vase uh, that she liked to hold flowers. Um, I, I don't know, about 10 inches tall, clear with, with hand-painted flowers around the edge. And it was, uh, it was reasonably cheap. It was, you know, it wasn't an expensive item. So she bought it. Um, and this particular morning in Los Angeles uh, was very gray, kind of miserable, kind of cold and damp. Um, and we drove back to Joni's house uh, uh, on Laurel Canyon and went through the front door, of course. And I said, hey, Joan. It's really, it's really cold today. Why don't I light a fire and you put some flowers in that vase that you just bought? Want to hear how it turned out? Yeah. I'll light the fire. You place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. And that was the first verse. Yeah. And so, Joni went out in the garden to put some flowers in the vase. And that meant two things. One, that she was not at her piano. Uh, and the second one uh, was that I was. <laughs> she was out there collecting flowers and I was writing my feelings down. Staring at the fire Joni and I broke up. I have a feeling that in our relationship, uh, we, all, we all make decisions based on our past. What happened to us as children, what happened to us as growing up. And I think that Joni thought that I wanted her to, uh, to give up being Joni Mitchell and just be in the kitchen. <laughs> Which is the furthest thing from my mind ever. Hmm? Heartbreaking. But at least I have a heart to break. With two cats in the yard Life used to be so hard Now everything is easy Cause of you And I'll light the fire While you place the flowers In the vase that you bought Today. Hello and welcome. You've got it. I, I, I've been expecting your call. Oh, great. No problem. What about your upcoming national tour, what you'll be performing, and what about your distinguished life in music that you'll be talking about? I've written a lot of songs in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it from the Hollies music, through Crosby Nash music, through Crosby Stills and Nash music, from Crosby Stills Nash and Young music, and from my music solo. 
So I have a lot of choices to be able to do. So a lot of times the set list is, is a little different every single night. Um, and I want my, my audience to realize two things. One, that I'm so pleased and, gra- and grateful that they're there. And two, I want them to know that I want to be there. I'm not doing it, you know, for any other reason than to make the best music I can. And I'm going to sing the songs like, you know, Military Madness and Chicago, We Can Change the World and Immigration Man. And I'm going to sing them with the same joy and the same passion I had when I wrote them. And please talk about what listeners can anticipate on your latest album, Graham Nash Live, and your classics revisited. I think the... the First of all, it was my wife, Amy, who persuaded me to do this. I'd always wanted, I'd always loved those albums. A lot of the songs I'd never performed live before. And it was an interesting, uh, it was interesting to me to be able to do that. And then Amy said, you know what? I want to see that show. You've got to do that. I'm a fan of your music. I want to see that show. And it, so uh, the persuasion of my wife, Amy, is when I did it. But I worked with a band that I'd never worked with before. Uh, we only rehearsed for a week, and we only did four shows. Mm. I chose the best performances of each show and, uh, and realized that, you know, that, that this could be a really fine live album. And, and that's what I did, and that's the album. Mm. And I, 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 I'm loving I'm loving the album. And somebody paid me a compliment, and I don't normally talk that way, but here's what happened. There's a master mastering engineer in, in, in this music industry called Bob Ludwig, and he's famous for great stuff. And I, even though I've worked with him for 50 years, we have never interacted personally. I get a text from Bob and he says, you know something, I worked on the original Songs for Beginners and I worked mastering the original Wild Tales. And I have to tell you, you are singing better than ever. (laughs) And coming from Bob Ludwig, that was fabulous to me. Now last year you also came out with an amazing tribute for the 100th anniversary commemoration of the Tulsa Massacre, Dirty Little Secret, which you co-wrote and created the music for. Please talk about the inspiration for that. I was making a, a record uh, um, that was uh, uh, being produced by Russ Kunkel and, and his son, Nathaniel. Uh, Russ Kunkel, of course, is one of the greatest drummers in the world, played with everyone from James Taylor to us to Bob Dylan, etc. I mean, I'm incredible, incredible. Anyway, I was in the middle of making that record, and I watched, um, I was a fan of 60 Minutes. And I saw a five-minute piece on, on the Tulsa riot. And it was such an incredible story for me that I, I plunged into figuring out exactly what had happened. And uh, him and I, uh, Russ and I wrote Dirty Little Secret 20 years ago. And today, most people know about it. A lot of people are saying that reparations should be made to those to the survivors and and, and the people. I mean, there were over three hundred people killed, yeah, and and buried in mass graves. They even had airplanes bombing the people out in Greenwood. Yeah. You know, Greenwood. You know, sounds like a remote place, but it's it's only it's like. You, you know how Brooklyn is a part of New York? Kind yeah. Of? yeah. Well, Greenwood was that close to, to Tulsa. Mm. You know? Yeah. And so it wasn't this remote place. It was actually part of Tulsa. And it was the Black Wall Street. It was incredibly successful. There were churches. There were uh, community houses. There were theaters. There were stock exchange. It was a beautiful, vibrant place. And white people completely destroyed it. Mm. And so that's why I wrote uh, Dirty Little Secret with Russ. 
And you also revisit in your stunning short documentary, Our House, the story behind the song, your very personal creation of that work. What led you down that memory lane musical excursion? I think that everybody has their house. (laughs) I think everybody, you know, can relate to that song because it's something that happened between Johnny and I, you know. I had taken Johnny to breakfast uh, on Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles, Arts Gallery, right? We had a beautiful breakfast. It was the tail end of winter. It was a day. It was rainy and it was cold and foggy and totally miserable. As we left the restaurant... After having breakfast, we, we, we were walking back to Johnny's car and uh, past an antique store. And we're looking in the window, and Johnny saw this beautiful vase that she wanted to buy. Mm. About 10 inches high, had some beautiful uh, hand-painted flowers around one edge, very cheap, and she bought it. Mm. And um, so we get to the car, and we drive down to Johnny's house in Laurel Canyon. And I go through the front day and the front door. And as I said, it was a miserable day. So I said to Joan, "Hey Joan, why don't I light a fire and you put some flowers in that vase that you bought today?" Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a writer, and there was no way I was going to let that moment disappear. Yeah. And I sat down at the piano when Joni wasn't at the piano because she was in the garden trying to find some weeds and some you know, old flowers to put in this vase. And I, I wrote our house within an hour. Mm. Wow. And what would you say is the legacy of that memorable renaissance in music back then that you were so much a part of creatively, personally, and politically for you? I wanted to express my opinion. I live in the I'm English, of course, so I'm, I'm not from here. <clears throat> but I, 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 I you know... It, it, it was an incredible time in, 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 in the late 60s in Laurel Canyon. It was full of, you know, beautiful women and lots of music and friends going to each other's house and playing their latest thing. I mean, me and David and Stephen would go with one acoustic guitar and sing Sweet Beauty Blue Eyes in front of people and knock them on their ass <laughs> because we were damn good. Obviously, the Hollies and the Springfield and the Birds were decent harmony bands, but this sound that we had created with, when we made our three voices into one was something that neither one of us had heard before. And I realized at that moment that my life had changed completely. Mm. I would have to go back to England and leave the Hollies and leave my equipment and just come to America and follow that sound mm. because I'm a musician. Yeah. And when I heard that sound, my life changed. And what was the best thing and the worst thing about being part of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? The best thing was the music. The worst thing was cocaine. <laughs> and what would you like those classics to say to youth audiences today and to up-and-coming young aspiring musicians? That there's a lot of stuff happening in the world that needs to be spoken about. And that we have, the, we had the courage to talk about stuff that other people would not talk about. I didn't hear many songs about Nixon. Mm. I didn't, you know. Then we did Ohio, of course. Um, yes. If there's any advice to any upcoming musicians, follow your heart and keep aware of what's going on around you, 360 degrees. Mm. And what are your feelings about your song Chicago? what it meant to you back then, and what it means to you today. I've always loved the underdog. I've always rooted for the team that was supposed to lose and didn't. And uh, we, once again, we were able to express what we were feeling. We live in America. We can, we can, we, 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 we can speak our minds here. You know, I'm not so sure that... Uh, uh, that if CSNY were doing it in any other country, that we would have been able to get away with that stuff. Mm. No, but, but here in America, you can speak your mind, and that's what we did. And that's what my advice is to any other upcoming musicians. Follow your heart and keep aware of what's going on and express your opinion about what's going on in your life right now. And are you contemplating anything next or in the future? I am leaving this interview and going to the studio to finish the last track. I'm finishing the last track on an album that I'm doing with Alan Clark. 
Alan Clark and I formed the Hollies in December of 1962. And it's taken us all this time, all these years, 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 decades later to be able to sing together. And so it's an Alan Clark solo record, but I'm singing on every single track with him. Mm. I've also got a studio record ready to go, too. And any last word on your new album and your tour, and where can people find more information about them? Well, GrahamNash.com. <laughs> you know, uh, people can find, you know, the, the, online is it's so so great right now. You know, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm loving social media, you know, but unfortunately I think it, two things. One, uh, I, I think the new social media gives everybody in the world a voice. And unfortunately, it gives everybody a voice, including all the crazy, stupid conspiracy theorists, you know, have the same power as all the brilliant people out there. Um, So I think my audience are going to understand that I want to be there and they're going to understand that that music goes on and uh, I don't believe that it will ever stop. And what do you feel you contributed uniquely to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young as the British musician with the group? I think my ability to sing high. (laughs) Not only high, but uh, in terms of my voice. I'm I'm usually the top top harmony singer. Uh, And that's what I bring in. You know, I realized... I realized... um, when I first came to America, that I could I could write a tune that you probably couldn't forget if you heard it a couple of times, but the lyrics left a lot to be desired. There were a lot of moon tunes in the back of the car kind of lyrics, you know. Mm. Um, and I realized when I saw what David was doing, and when I saw what Stephen was doing, and when I saw what Joni was doing, and when I saw what Neil was doing, I began to realize that if I put better words to my melodies, that I would have better songs. And that's what I did. And that's what I concentrated on. And that's one of the things that I bring to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And when Graham Nash looks in the mirror, what does he see? An 80-year-old man that doesn't feel like he's 80 years old. (laughs) And please tell us what you've been up to with your photography. Yeah. Uh, If all the listeners on Arts Express uh, want to know... um, I put, I put out a, a new book of photographs of all my friends in compromising positions. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. But, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful book. I, I'm very proud of it. It's called A Life in Focus. So everybody that's listening to Arts Express, check it out. Okay. Thank you so much, Graham Nash, for calling into our show. You're very welcome. Well, bye-bye. Carry on, love.
and more information about Nash's new album, his artwork, and upcoming national music tour beginning in July again can be found at grahamnash.com. And now on Arts Express, in commemoration of Juneteenth this week, marking the emancipation of enslaved black Americans in this country, a poem by Kwame Dawes, part of a presentation of the Poetry Coalition, a gathering of voices for one poem, protest readings in support of Black Lives Matter. My name is Kwame Dawes. This is a poem called Landho, and it's written in response to the wonderful work of Tom Feelings. I cannot speak the languages spoken in that vessel, cannot read the beads promising salvation. I know this only that when the green of land appeared like light after the horror of this crossing, we straightened our backs and face the simplicity of new days with flame. I know I have the blood of survivors cursing through my veins. I know the lament of our loss must warm us again and again down in the belly of the whale. And here in the belly of the whale, where we are still searching for homes, we sing laments so old so true, then straighten our backs again. Thank you. Thank you, Kwame Dawes. Gaina giving a shout out to all the listeners of this wonderful program, to the wonderful listeners of Arts Express. Hello Americans, uh, this is Natasha from Russia and we want to thank you for all your sanctions, for taking away from our country Coca-Cola, KFC, McDonald's and all that We understand that you take care of our healthiness, healthiness. Healthy, healthiness, healthy, and uh, that's why we will be stronger and more beautiful and without fat. So we take care of you too, and that's why we cut our gas. So. You have to walk by foot instead of using your cars. 
Don't thank you. Don't, don't say thank you. Uh, friendship. I am so sorry. I have to go to feed my bear and drink vodka and play balalaika right now. Uh, see you later from Russia with love. Okay. And now on Arts Express, Concert in the Barn from Richfield, Connecticut, seven-time Grammy Award winner and artist in residence at New York City's Cathedral of St. John the Divine for 40 years, Paul Winter, to discuss his new album, Concert in the Barn, and how it came to be composed, live-streamed, from his New England barn in this age of COVID. Winter shares memories and summer solstice music created, quote, when the birds begin to sing at sunrise this time of year, an experience of the gradual crescendo of delight and the most powerful theater you can imagine. Hi, this is Jack Shalom. For decade after decade, Paul Winter has been making beautiful music, blending the sounds of the earth and nature with his signature soprano saxophone. In an extraordinary life filled with adventure and achievement, he has won seven Grammy Awards, played for the Kennedys at the White House, and he has been artist-in-residence at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City for 40 years. And that's just scratching the surface. I'm happy to welcome the wonderful musical artist, Paul Winter. Hi, Paul. Hi, Jack. Thank you. Paul, where are you calling in from? From my barn here in Litchfield, Connecticut. And how have you been coping, making and sharing music in the age of COVID? The great fortune I've had is to live here in the boondocks. <laughs> I got this barn 45 years ago as a, a music studio, and it's been a wonderful getaway for me and my family all this time. And I've pretty much been here most of these last two years, and I'm able to work in, in the studio here and also produce our concerts in the hayloft upstairs. Tell us about your new album, Paul. This came about because of COVID last June. For our summer solstice, which we, we couldn't do in the cathedral, uh, we decided to try live streaming it from the barn here, and it worked beautifully. I had to find alternative players in some cases for the consort because our regular guys who usually fly in from all over the country weren't traveling much. So I found some wonderful people in the New England neighborhood here, and it's uh, it's probably the most unique consort album we've done because it includes uh, several vocals as well as a diversity of instrumental pieces. You play with excellent musicians on this album, old friends and you. Tell us about them. Well, Eugene Friesen, our cellist for 42 years, has uh, lives in Vermont, so he could come. And also Teresa Thomason, our beloved vocalist who's, who's been doing our Solstice events for over 25 years, lives down the valley here. So the two new players are Jeff Baratko, who is an extraordinary young musician who we've just encountered him in the last couple of years. He's a bassoonist. It was amazing to discover how pertinent his playing was to our music. But moreover, when I asked him how things were going in his career, he said, oh, I'm working all the time. And I thought that was quite impressive for a bassoon player. And, and I said, uh, playing bassoon? And he said, no, no, with my rock band. I said, rock band? You're playing bassoon in a rock band? No. He said, I'm singing and uh, playing piano. And I said, what material are you doing? And he said, I've written a lot of it. So he sang me a song called DNA, and it so stopped me in my tracks. It was absolutely amazing. These shackled hands and feet won't hold me back. These blinded eyes will always see the truth. So I will spread my wings and let my spirit soar You'll come back in me for more When we walk, we walk together When we love, our hearts beat as one 
Let your life be filled with laughter Let us dance till day is done And the last member of the this unusual consort is Henrique Eisenman, who is a, an amazing young Brazilian pianist who's lived in the States for the last several years. Together, we converged in, and with little rehearsal, had this, uh, this unusual experience of being able to, to put forth all the performances we did in an album that, that I think is one of the best the consort has done. Now, people should know that when you do these summer solstice concerts, you don't exactly have an 8 p.m. concert start, do you? The whole point is to experience what it's like at the very beginning of the day, the longest day of the year. The first summer solstice we did uh, in the early 90s in the cathedral, they've always started at 4.30 a.m., which is when the birds begin to sing at this time of year. And the sun rises by the time the concert is over? It rises usually around 5.15. So it's a, uh, an experience of this gradual crescendo of the light. The great drama of the sunrise is something that we rarely experience in a contemplative way. And it is, for me, the most powerful theater that you can imagine. It's a deep time for listening and for making music. Are you able to sleep the night before? How, how do you wake up on time? Or are you just up around the clock? How does that work? Well, it's easier here in the country because I keep farmers' hours more. And I get up early um, and, and don't stay up late. But in the cathedral, when we've performed there uh, over the years, we re rehearse the night before. And, and usually we don't get to, to bed until midnight or so. So we get a couple hours sleep uh -huh. and uh, just get up and have some coffee and go at it. You could do that once a year. <laughs> now, in the cathedral, you have a large audience. What was your audience in the barn? Two horses, two rescue horses that my daughter brought home a few years ago. They're, 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 they failed on the racetrack, and luckily she found them before something worse happened to them. And uh, they've been here, and they're, a great, they're a great companions for us, and uh, they, they tolerate <laughs> whatever we play. You mentioned that you didn't get a chance to do a lot of rehearsal with this current consort. You're known as a musician who transcends genre, be it jazz, classical, or earth music. How much of this current album is improvised? For this concert, we did a series of, of fixed pieces, many different formats of music making, and we happen to have great new material from Henrique, some extraordinary compositions, four songs that Teresa sings, including the traditional theme for Juneteenth, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, which uh, we've never performed before, and I never even imagined performing it. But she and Henrique do it in such an amazing way that it's, it's absolutely reborn. And uh, it happened that the concert last year was on Juneteenth. This year is the first official year that it's a national holiday after over 100 years. She's such an extraordinary singer. She also does How Can I Keep From Singing on that album, you know, which is a, a song I associate with Pete Seeger. And Pete does it great, but she really brings something special to it. Well, it was Pete we learned it from, and um, I feel that she knocks it out of the park. I hear the 
You're known for incorporating the sounds of the earth and animals into your music. On this album, you have a track that incorporates the song of a wood thrush. And as a bird watcher, I love that. Tell us about that track. Several years ago, a wood thrush came to the forest near our cottage here in, in June, around this time, and sang this most beautiful song. I've been a great lover of the wood thrush songs for years since I've lived here. And each one, as you go through the forest, has a different song that they repeat again and again. And it's usually four phrases. This song, I thought, was quite musical in our, let's say, human sense of music. One morning, listening with it through the open window of the cottage, I went to the piano and found out that he's singing in C major. I, I of course, wanted to record him, and I put the tape recorder under his tree, hoping that I would get a good recording. Well, he became my C major wood thrush and really my muse. In the next five years, he returned every summer and singing that same song in C major. And when I finally got the recording I wanted, I began playing the phrases on my horn and only then realized that the four three-note phrases each outline a different chord and the four chords together happen to be the exact same first chords of the prelude to Bach's well-tempered clavier which happens to be of course in C major and as that as if that weren't enough it also happens to be the first four chords of the prelude to the cello suite so weaving those together we made this piece that we call the well-tempered wood thrush I hope you don't mind if I say that you're now past your 80th year. Does making art get harder or easier as you get older? Well, making music, and it's anybody's uh, opinion, whether it's art, um, one of the most rewarding things that I can imagine being able to do uh, at, at any age, but it's more gratifying as the years go on. Every time I get to play, I have to keep in shape to blow. Uh, I have to keep in shape a little better than in earlier years. I'll tell you what's, what really helps is getting to stay home. And, and I have to thank COVID for that because I've been on the road since I was 21. Never have had the time that I felt I wanted to have to uh, go in depth in my, my writing and playing. And I've gotten that 
time in, in recent years, and it's uh, it's just a tremendous gift. And as you get older, do you have new things that you want to express with your music, or is it about getting better at saying what you want to express? Well, the ideas still run rampant, half a dozen a day. Always more. It's, it's as if life expands. The world is such a smorgasbord of music, and we've gotten to visit a good number of places, and I have backlogs of things that I've wanted to uh, explore more, in more depth and incorporate into the consort. It's just a, it's a great time of abundance. What's the most important thing you know about making music? That anybody can do it. I don't believe in talent. Uh, I believe some people have a, a proclivity, maybe, toward different things. But everyone has uh, an impulse toward expression, and um, if they're given half a chance, can can do it in a musical way. Uh, it's just that we get put in boxes. Uh, too early on, we maybe decide that whether we not we have this talent or something or think that we have to take lessons, whatever. And uh, I like to do events where everybody can make sounds freely together, even in the dark, especially in the dark, and find how easy it is. And you don't have to worry about whether it's art or not, or even call it music. Uh, I call it sound play. But I think that the uh, expression I feel in whatever form is the, is the chief reward of human life. It's giving out uh, in some way of your, of your own expression. And um, that, that we, uh, we rob ourselves of uh, one of the great fulfillments when we don't get a chance to do this. Oh, that pure acceptance really has put a little chill in my spine. That's very beautiful. How can people get your new album, Paul, Concert in the Barn? Probably the easiest way is is on our website. It, it's um, paulwinter.com. Great. Thanks, Paul. You're very welcome, and thank you, Jack. I've been speaking with the great musician Paul Winter, whose new album is called Concert in the Barn by the Paul Winter Consort. This is Jack Shalom for Arts Express with host Prairie Miller.
And that's all we have time for today on Arts Express, Expression in the Arts. And if you'd like to express yourself too, you can write to us at theradiogoddess at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Prairie Miller leaving the station.